We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. What we are very proud of now is that we penetrate the cabinets. Seriously, I'm, I'm making a serious point. I don't know what half of them are protesting against. We've still got Fauci walking around free. The man should be in irons in the darkest pit. As much as he touts that he cares about it, he doesn't. This is our revolution. It's not theirs. Don't let them take it from you. Don't let them convince you that it's their revolution when in fact it's not. It's ours. And we will have it. It is Friday, the 23rd day of September, the year of our Lord 2022. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Bruce Adams and somewhere between iconic and psychotic, the fan favorite, Lord Marty Foster. Lord Foster, how are you? Salve. Uh, I'm average. Thank you very much for asking. How about yourself? Fantastic. I'm, I'm doing well. Bruce, how are you? Healthy and alive as usual. Great. Great to hear. Well, it's been a jam-packed, fun-filled week for us, I have to say. Uh, three specials in three days. Like I said, we usually don't do one of those in like two or three months. So it's it's been it's been quite a um, quite a toll that's been taken on us the last few days to get all that stuff together and to uh, to get it put just right. Uh, and it's amazing because uh, going back through and, and reviewing it after they've uh, they've already been put out, I think, man, we missed this part, we missed this part and that part. But it, it's like, I mean, they're jam packed full of uh, full of information. And I've already got people sending me feedback saying this is terrifying this is absolutely terrifying what, what are we supposed to do they, they don't know what to do and and i i don't have an answer i i don't have an answer but marty i called you on the phone a couple of days ago and i you told did. you yeah i i told you i said you need to hear what we're going to discuss the past two days and you've you've listened to what we've discussed the past few days and i know I that, and the, yeah the reason the reason that i asked you to listen to that is because I, I certainly wanted you to weigh in on that. I wanted to get uh, your perspective, what you think on that, because that is a lot to digest. And the timetable that they're looking at, they're looking two to six months for full implementation. So what did you think? Uh, let's start with the let's just start with the social credit. We'll take it as it as it was presented. So the social credit, social management, we'll start there. And then we'll obviously we'll get into like the, uh, you know, the, the tr it's literally transhumanism. And I've, I'm hearing the buzzwords now, humans 2.0, what they're wanting to do with this, um, this executive order and this collaboration uh, to literally reprogram humans. But let's start with the uh, the social credit and the social management aspect, uh, what, what your thoughts were on that. And let's just see where the discussion goes. We, we really don't have a whole lot lined up. I just wanted to, uh, uh, well, I wanted to discuss all this stuff with you tonight. Just like you two, um, I've, I was listening uh, and realized that I would definitely be in the quarantine class or maybe the incarcerated class, um, which they, I don't think you mentioned, but I'm sure that, that, that that's the one that comes after underneath quarantine. The, the ones that um, will say a royal up yours, mate, I'm not playing a silly game and, and would wind up behind bars. What we've got to remember, and you said it, on the first podcast that I listened to a couple of days ago, which was that the WEF distanced themselves from that paper, didn't they? They didn't say it was theirs. They said it's an independent. Yeah. Every um, time there's an op-ed piece that it that yeah. is funded by them, they always say, these are not our views, but yet they funded the paper. Well, my immediate thoughts on that were that uh, knowing that it's being conducted like warfare, we are at war, effectively. Uh, and uh, the art of warfare is deception. You always have to 
confuse your enemy. You have to keep them guessing as to what your course of action is going to be. Now, these papers that are being put forward, even stuff like the 17 Sustainable Development Goals, which we went through at length didn't we, in another special quite some time ago, they are basically a reconnaissance exercise. These papers are being written by um, idealists uh, and young, impressionable, open society funded and financed, you know, prodigies that are coming up with these grand ideas. But what they are is 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 just a way of testing what we will put up with, just in the same way as the COVID lockdowns were a test of how far they can push a populace before they start to push back. So the, these these papers are are reconnaissance and. Don't imagine for a moment they will try and implement everything at once. Um, in if I can draw it onto a karate or you know combat analogy, you give your opponent a target that you know that you can cover but looks vulnerable. So they go for that target, and by doing so, they commit to an attack, and at which point you've won because you've blocked that attack and you've countered with something that they can't get back up from. That's what we've got to to be aware of, that if we go all out uh, and attack these individual things, we'll, we'll reveal our hand a bit too early, perhaps. We know that these things like the, the, the social credit ideas have been thrown around, and you mentioned the, the advert I saw the other day where someone had £12,000 worth of credit card debt. The company accepted 3000 as a, oh, as a three, final uh, settlement. Yeah, that's right. I said it's, I said it was 1000 Yeah. It's 3000 yeah. But, but because the individual had applied for a government debt clearance scheme, but that government debt clearance scheme means that he can't own a business. He can't borrow any more money. He can't have another credit card. He has he has no line of credit available to them. So it's a trap. But if you know it's a trap and you surround the trap, the people that were laying the trap suddenly become entrapped themselves. Any ambush, if discovered, can be surrounded and defeated. So we, we've got to identify from this reconnaissance, these probes with these papers and ideas and eight imaginings for the future, what part of it they're going to attack with first. Then once we've established that, we can surround that bit and deal with it piece by piece. That from a military perspe man's perspective, that's the way I see this whole situation anyway. No, no, I, I I see your point of view. And and quite frankly, I mean, you're right. For anybody that wasn't paying attention or hasn't been paying attention, we are at war. And these people are at war with us. I get your analogy. I, I get your perspective because that's how you... And quite frankly, it, I, I've, I hold myself in contempt for not thinking that way because that's how you have to look at it, right? I mean, look what they did with COVID. They started with their agenda and then all of a sudden it just started dropping everywhere as in like the restrictions and stuff. It all just dropped. Once they saw what pushback was coming, it was a tactical retreat. But they're going to come back on it with other things this time, aren't they? Now it's going to be other things. Yeah. Now it's going to be climate stuff, right? We're getting hammered with climate uh, stuff. So you've got all the same agendas that are going to be repackaged and brought back out, but you're going to see resistance again. Their armor to continue the analogy, is is paper thin. They might seem to have all the power on their side, but they've got to do what they want to do within the law. 
Now, we've seen a lot of recent changes to laws in both the States, Europe, and here in the UK, in fact, all over the world. There's been a lot of changes in laws, particularly relating to peaceful protest. They've been eradicated and changed. I'd like to say, I, I don't necessarily think, and I could be wrong, I could be wrong, please correct me if, if I'm wrong, but I don't necessarily think that those have been changes in laws. They've just been edicts that have been pushed through under the, quote, states of emergency. Have they not? No, there's there's been the, the new police act uh, passed here oh, in the okay. UK, okay. which has given law enforcement more powers of arrest uh, and the ability to stop protests. And of course, we've talked about this before, but it's worth reiterating all the things like uh, Extinction Rebellion, the BLM protests, all those kind of things have allowed the government to convince the vast majority of the population that having your police force able to stop a protest is a good thing. It's not a good thing. You are allowed to, you should be allowed to protest as long as it's peaceful. And they want to stop those kind of protests because they know they're going to be um, quite dramatic in the future when some of these ideas start to be enforced on us. So that's why SAGE the scientific advisory group for our government here in the UK had something like 60% behavioural scientists and psychologists rather than 80% being doctors, epidemiologists and virologists when they were dealing with something like a pandemic or in this case a plandemic. So they know that these protests are going to be big and they, they know that they need to be able to combat them. It's all adding up. We're, we're joining dots that are really obvious here, that the, the new 20,000 policemen in the UK are malleable, oh, sorry, police officers are malleable, um, easily manipulated and indoctrinated that will simply do what their government tells them to do, whether it's right or lawful or not. And as usual, I can't remember if I was trying to make a point there or if I was just answering a question. So please help me out. You know, Klaus Schwab said that I was I've been busy here trying to uh, to go back and pull that clip. And unfortunately, I'm not able to find it. Uh, but Klaus Schwab did say a while back that we need to prepare for a more angry world. It's almost as if he knew by some just stroke of genius. It's almost as if he knew that something was going to change. If some kind of agenda shift was going to happen or if they were going to <clears throat> nudge things in a certain way to make sure that the agenda shifted into that direction, that it was going to cause people to get angry. Quite frankly, I mean, if you look at what we discussed a couple of days ago, if you, if you look at the uh, the new digital currency that comes in and people ask, well, what's going to happen to my assets? Well, they're going to be seized. That's not going to go over well for anybody. I don't care what country you're in. That's not going they, to They won't go even well be seized, will they? They will, they will just become worthless. Yes, Yes, exactly. Yeah, the 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 cash equivalent that you've got in your bank account will become worthless because it's not the new digital currency. All of these businesses that have taken uh, loans to survive the lockdown and 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 the rest of it will be coerced under the threat of the recall of those loans to only accept that currency in in transactions. So they don't even have to seize your 10, 12, 30,000, whatever you've got in liquid assets. They don't have to seize it. It just becomes worthless because you can't buy anything with it. 
that's one way in which they can avoid uh, a, a protest or a restriction. You know, come and take it from me. You can have my vast amount of cash under my mattress over my dead body. Well, your vast amount of cash in a cashless society where you can only buy things using a digital currency is worthless. You might as well use it as fire lighters. To the cashless society, I don't I don't think they're going to go straight to being cashless to initiate that kind of a change globally. Because, uh, you know, as the USD, as an example, that that's everywhere, like the majority of the currency is elsewhere. So getting every country to jump on board at the same time. However, uh, I do think what they'll try to do is uh, they'll institute a uh, digital USD alongside the dollar and give some kind of an incentive or um, they'll start a rhetoric campaign uh, against anybody that uses cash. Only drug dealers use cash or, you know, something to that effect to try to push people into the digital currency. And, you know, there'll probably be um, for all those loans and everything everybody had to take uh, to, to continue existing. They'll say, well, look, we'll reduce the interest rate or give you X amount of credit towards that if you use the digital uh, currency instead. So I, I, I don't see it being overnight unless there's a currency collapse. Without that, uh, I, I think they'll have to kind of implement it over, I don't know, six months, a year or longer instead of just an overnight switch. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right, Bruce, that, that it will be a long process. But it's when it's done like that, the stuff you were reading out on on the last podcast about if you're the, in this category, you're you're allowed to have up to five thousand credits at any one time. Your monthly income will be one thousand, uh, and you can't spend more than X amount in in a given time period. That won't work for them, will it? That that kind of stuff is is really very scary and it, it will immediately alarm people this is what i mean about it being a probe it's a reconnaissance just to see what the reaction might be it's uh, what, what are those things that when they when they do it with it with a, a new tv series uh, a focus group it's kind of a global focus group they've put forward something and they're just seeing how pissed off we're gonna get about those things and then they'll they'll make the change that they want by other means, uh, and we'll still wind up in the same position. We'll, we have to be aware that virtually, no, not virtually, everything that comes out of uh, the mouths of Davos-connected politicians is to our detriment. Polivere, I really hope uh, he wins the next election, and I hope he's genuine and not controlled opposition. And watch what happens when all of Canada's ministers, all of the the um, members of their parliament who have connections to the World Economic Forum are suddenly removed from office. It's going to be quite interesting. Uh, it is. And, you know, it's it's interesting you bring that up. Bruce and I were uh, paying attention to what was going on in one of the uh, the Dutch parliaments the other night, and they were in session around 1030 p.m. local time. And uh, one of the uh, members of parliament got up to the podium and he immediately started to call out individual members of that parliament and asking them direct questions about their involvement in the World Economic Forum, their time in the universities at Oxford in the UK and their connections to flat out Marxist ideology. And all of them that he was accusing, every single one of them got up and walked out in the middle of parliament being in session. 
but have we heard about that? That's that's quite a big no. thing. That's but we've heard nothing about that. That's quite a big thing to have happened. I had uh, an old friend round the other day, and um, he's got a son who lives in Holland. And I said, "What have you heard?" Because I was trying to wake him up, but I said, "What have you heard about what's happening in the Netherlands with the farmers?" What has your son told you? And he says, oh, he just says that he can't work out why everyone's so angry. So even in the Netherlands, the people in the Netherlands who are not part of the protest aren't getting informed or are not being informed as to why the protests are happening. That's how tight news is shut down. You know, everything that we've had fed to us over the last few years by mainstream media and I hate to keep repeating myself, has been propaganda and lies. But that's why history repeats itself, because no one was listening in the first place. Or in this case, no one can hear anything because it's not being said. I was just flashing some images up there on the uh, on the screen behind me uh, for you to uh, this is the uh, this is the MP. Uh, and he was this, of course, right here, this individual, I know exactly who that is. That's uh, that's Mark Ruta. He's the uh, Dutch prime minister, uh, who's a uh-huh. Lackey for the World Economic Forum. This individual was one of the people that was accused. And of course, all of her colleagues, you see her here, all of her colleagues that were also accused, all got up and walked out in uh, in unison there. Oh, sorry. So th- this was in, in the Netherlands? Yes. Oh, not Canada. I thought you no, said- No, that, no, not it, Canada. It no, it was in, no, it was in the Netherlands. Oh, okay. I, my, my apologies. Yeah. Well, we were watching that, um, that bill that Ted Cruz was trying to get through the Senate about releasing money from the- COVID emergency fund for schools in the US so that they could spend more money on security. And again, you've just got you've just got one Democrat senator saying, I object, just two words, and a bill doesn't get through. So these lot by standing up and leaving the parliament floor, no actual discussion gets to happen. Because if it did get to happen, then the media can't cover it up. It it can't be squashed and quietened. Just the same as, unfortunately, they picked the 19th of September for Her Majesty's funeral, because that was the day that the debate on COVID injuries was supposed to take place in Parliament. Coincidence? Possibly coincidence, but they could have picked another day. The debate is going to be reheld because... I've heard nothing about it, and I was told about it through emails because I've signed petitions to to make it happen in the first place and and so on. But we've heard nothing about it as to to when it's actually going to be held. No, and it'll be uh, swept into the the memory hole and nobody will ever uh, hear of it again. It's just a shame or something else will come up. Moving along, uh, is there anything else you wanted to to say on the, uh, the, the aspects of social credit? Uh, or anything that we uh, we discussed in the uh, the first one you listened to? The trouble with it is it will seem incredibly appealing to the stupid. And we've got an awful lot of stupid, unfortunately. I don't want to sound like Harari, but we have got an awful lot of uneducated people who don't want to work, don't want to have any responsibility, would quite happily have all of their needs taken care of. But what they don't realise is that they will have no future, no point in having any kinds of ambitions or aspirations for their lives to ever improve if they let something like social credit actually get a foothold. 
how we can convince them of that, I don't know, because a lot of these people uh, have got habits. They've got drug habits and they suddenly will realise very quickly that whilst they might get their food and accommodation and utilities taken care of by a social credit system, they won't be able to go and score from their drug dealer. There won't be be any way to um, divert some of those credits into someone else's account so that they can get a hit because it's all tracked and traced. It's it's all transparent or would be. So, you know, you have to use whatever weapon you've got. And in this particular case, it's convincing the great unwashed underclass that they won't be able to get their fix if they accept this kind of thing. They've actually estimated, you, and you know, we've been talking about what kind of a resistance that that would actually cause. And they have their think tanks and their statisticians and, and these types of people already wargaming all this stuff out. And uh, this is what they actually say. Everyone must immediately comply with the new system. Those who resist or those who protest or complain online, such as ourselves, will receive immediate fines and deductions to their score and their account. So your score, you would be given an, uh, an initial social score of between one and a thousand. That's your that's your social score. Uh, and then, of course, your uh, your account, whatever class that you qualify for, which I mean, again, we don't qualify for any of those classes because the lower you get in those classes, the more jabs you have to take. And Bruce actually had a um, uh, had a theory on that. And I think it's a sound one. Uh, but anyway, uh, according to their think tanks, they say that uh, it is expected in the first month that they have estimated about 20 percent of the human population will have their accounts reduced to nearly zero due to, quote, bad behavior. But by the second month, yeah, exactly, me too. But by the second month, they believe that this behavior will be corrected. Their actual words, corrected. Uh, according to the documentation for the software, once people realize they can't have more than $1,000 and can easily lose it with unapproved behavior, they will change their behavior and comply. Um, no. No, they won't. <laughs> it's as simple as that. It's like Trust me, I'm banned. someone... It's like being I'm banned someone from the who's COVID se- thing. Well, I'm someone who's honest with, with myself. I know I've got a very addictive nature. I smoke. Shouldn't smoke, but I do. And I know that. And even if I had no way of purchasing cigarettes, I would still be craving it. And I would be looking for any way of doing a, of getting a cigarette. Same with people who drink, people who use drugs. They are going to go crazy uh, and and it won't be a modified behavior within a week or two or a month or two. Their cravings will continue and it will create a very unpleasant environment in our towns and cities. Will it, though? That's the question is, will it? I mean, I, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you. I, I believe that uh, I believe you're right. I'm just looking I, I'm playing kind of devil's advocate here. I'm, I'm playing it from from their perspective as in the World Economic Forum. Let's look at this piece that we actually reviewed a while ago. Let's let's kind of revisit this because it's it's very much relevant to what we're discussing now, which at the time in 2016, when this was published by the World Economic Forum uh, and one of their contributors, a Danish politician named Ida Alken, which I will play a clip here of her really quickly, just so you understand this type of an individual. She said this not too very long ago uh, into what your products are going to look like. And the third thing I will point to is a very big move that's happening at the moment from product to service. I have a friend, he says, every product is a service waiting to happen. If you think about it, I mean, your cell phone, why, why do you want to own your cell phone? Does, how, do, how many of you own your cell phones? 
how many knows if the company owns it? It's actually not a lot. I mean, you want the, you want the function, you want the service, right? Why do you want to own a cell phone if you can just lease it? And if you lease, why, why shouldn't you lease your refrigerator or your washing machine or your dishwasher or why do you want to own it? See, these are the types of people and this is the type of system that they're talking about is you'll own nothing. You will own nothing in this system. These credits will be used to uh, pay for your um, your products that will become services. And this is one of the things that you asked about in the initial stages when we first ran across the uh, the working paper from the World Economic Forum about how they're restructuring the world post-COVID-19 pandemic from product to service when it comes to everything that you're going to, quote, well, own that you're not going to own. I, I don't know of another way to put it. There's um there's something going around in my head at the moment, and and it's the the old sort of financial adage about you should always have buy a good pair of shoes and a good bed because if you're not in one, you're in the other. And if you can afford a two hundred dollar pair of boots, those boots will last you ten years, maybe fifteen years. But if you're spending $30 on a pair of boots that only last you a year or two years, you wind up spending double. So it's the same with, with leasing. If you pay a set amount every month, that set amount every month will exceed what your outright purchase of whatever the item was that you are now leasing. It's they, they have their hooks into you. You haven't got any you know, free market, you've got monopolies so they can charge what they like. It's like with your, your mobile phone companies or your internet company or your electricity company. All of the offers, all of the reduced rates are only for new customers. Once they've got their hooks into you uh, and, you know, you, you're paying your monthly, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it's not a donation, is it? It's uh, your, your, your monthly fee to that company they no longer care about you as a customer. You are just a a cat, you know, a, a cow to be milked every month. That's that's what you become. So I have actually heard that vacuous bint before spouting that same crap. And this is what we've got to contend with, people. This is what we've got to stop. As soon as we identify a globalist wit, there's a bleep. As soon as we identi identify a globalist, they should be the equivalent of a throat punched straight away. Somehow, somehow stopped, somehow verbally stopped in their tracks. As soon as they start to speak to you and you realize that you've got a brainwashed globalist talking to you, they should be cut off and, and, and made aware that whatever they have to say further is of no interest to you. I'd, I'd really enjoy doing that. I'd, I'd, I need to, to get out a bit more, use my passport a bit more, go to a few places, have some of these conversations, and then just cut these wits dead. It's another bleep. You're two for two today. That's that's pretty good. This well, article... they upset me. I'm sorry. They, they, they really do. <laughs> as they, they should. They as they should. Me. Any normal thinking person, any, any sane moral society, quite frankly, would have these people in mental institutions. You know, I, I was having this conversation last night with uh, with somebody like they just flat out asked me and said, have you ever seen these these insane people? And I said, you have to be more specific because there's so many of them. They said, yeah, I get that. But uh, the ones that dress up like animals in public, have you seen these? 
And I said, all too often, I've, I've seen them, yeah. I said, they belong in a mental institution. They said, yeah. I said, why aren't they in them? I said, because we closed all of them. That's what we did. But getting back to this, uh, th- this creature that you just heard speaking on that clip, uh, she published this piece by the World Economic Forum. Again, they don't necessarily support the views of this. Uh, they don't, but they funded the paper. Welcome to the year 2030. This is her vision, okay? Welcome to the year 2030. Welcome to my city, or should I say our city? You could cue in Tri-State City, you know, the place that they want to build in, in Europe. You could equate that to that because that's what they want to have done by 2030 and, and com- well, started by 2030 and completed by 2050. I don't own anything. I don't own a car. I don't own a house. I don't own any appliances or any clothes. It might seem odd to you, but it makes perfect sense for us in this city. Everything you considered a product has now become a service. You just heard her say it. We have access to transportation, accommodation, food, and all the things we need in our daily lives. One by one, all of these things became free. So it ended up not making any sense for us to own much. First, communication became digitized and free to everyone. Then, when clean energy became free, things started to move quickly. Transportation dropped dramatically in price. It made no sense for us to own cars anymore because we could call a driverless vehicle or a flying car for longer journeys within minutes. We started transporting ourselves in a much more organized and, co- and coordinated way when public transport became easier, quicker, and more convenient than the car. Now I can hardly believe that we accepted congestion and traffic jams, not to mention the air pollution from combustion engines. What were we thinking? Gee, I don't know. What were you thinking? With all of the resources and the, the petrochemicals that you need to manufacture these things, you're, you're literally just you're transplanting the emissions that are not actually causing as many emissions. You're, you're transplanting them somewhere else. You're just moving yeah. them and you're creating more. Yeah. And and that article that she wrote couldn't have been written without some influence from the Sustainable Development Goals, the 17 Sustainable Development Goals of the United Nations, because it it's those show that all industry moves away from the developed countries into developing countries. So the pollution goes there. But also... 2030 is only eight eight years away, uh, maybe a little bit less now, maybe seven years away, uh, or nearly, yeah. And the power to weight ratio of a flying car, um, so we can call, you know, a, a, a driverless car or a flying car. They actually so have them. Got- they have them in the, in the United Arab Emirates. They actually they're run by Uber. They're called helicopters. Yeah, they are. They're called helicopters, and they and they run on petrochemicals. They don't run on lithium. Batteries, you know, 500 kilograms of battery to try and get off the ground. The power to weight ratio just doesn't work, does it? So she's away with the fairies. She's talking absolute twaddle. But again, that is a a probe. It's a reconnaissance. It was sponsored by the WEF to see just how people would react to it. Because that's not their plan anyway. Their plan with these jabs and, and other things that are slowly but surely making it not life not worth living uh, or impossible to live with myocarditis blood clots stroke other symptoms of uh, of vaccine injury there's going to be fewer and fewer of us anyway so the only people who are going to be calling a flying car are going to be the ones in sovereign class of the social credit system and you know actually in um in Dubai, they have a, a monorail now that goes round the city, and it's used the as a yeah. 
Or no, no, no that's, but, they yeah. haven't done the Hyperloop. That was supposed to connect Abu Dhabi and Dubai. That was supposed to at least. They haven't done that yet. But building railways in the desert across moving sand is very, very difficult. You need rock, uh, and and that's why there are not many railroads out there. But they've got that, and and they had to have second class, first class, but there still had to be a higher class so that people who wanted to pay more could feel very special and just travel in these extremely expensive carriages. When you said that the other day about the sovereign class, it just reminded me of that. If you've already got first class, second class, and perhaps third class, that should be enough. But no, there has to be one above first class as well. It makes perfect sense. If if you go back and you, you look at uh, what they were talking about uh, it was right after COVID started. All of a sudden, all of these uh, these supersonic jets, uh, supersonic jet companies, these startups started to just crop up everywhere. They said, well, we're going to see the return to the uh, the supersonic jet market. Well, why did you shut it down in the first place? Well, you, you just kept it relegated to British Airways, no offense. And what you had some accidents and, and now it's like it's just stayed that way. It's just it's insane. That's uh, it something was that, Air France as well. It was Air France. Yeah. Yes, that that's true. Yeah, you're right. But even so, that was real human progress that should have stayed. And it didn't. They shut it down. All of a sudden, they're bringing these things back. And, you know, I, I've been in the Concords. There's um, there's a museum here that's just down the road. It's the only museum in the entire world where they've got both the uh, Concorde that was used by Air France and the one that was used by the USSR, the uh, the Tupolev. You can actually go inside both of them. I've, I've been in both of them. And yeah. the ones that they're I, going I've to... I've been inside the British one. Yeah. Um, I've not flown in it, but... They're, they're really quite small when you consider yep. how much how much money it would cost these days to get a supersonic flight. I mean, traveling first class uh, to the States, I think, is going to be something around about six, seven thousand dollars $7,000. Yeah, it's ridiculous. For- the last flight that I was on across the Atlantic, um, I was in, they added another class. I was in like... Um, uh, economy plus or whatever it was. It was, yeah. it was, it was literally, I was in the first seat, like right next to the door where they have the curtain that they pull in between that and first class. And the difference between where I was sitting to a meter in front of me on the other side of that curtain, the difference in price was like, I, I want to say it was like 900 euros or, or whatever it was. It was insane. Yeah. I used to, obviously I used to travel backwards and forwards quite a lot. And I would save up my points and upgrade uh, to business class because I'm a tall person and I need the legroom. And it was a seven and a half hour flight, um, which is not the longest flight I've done, but you know it's long enough to to want some comfort. So I think where I'm going with this is those those supersonic flights are not for the likes of of me now. I couldn't no, afford they're not for, them. They're not for any of us. That because when we were no. looking at the prototypes that they're looking at building in these uh, startups that are getting flooded with all kinds of cash, there's only like maybe 15 seats on them. That's for yeah. the sovereign class. That's for the stakeholders. That's not for us. Yeah. Well, the other thing, while we're still on roughly on the subject of, of Dubai, for instance, Dubai was supposed to have the World Expo in 2020, but it never happened. I was actually at Expo 86 in Canada you know, went around and saw all the, these new developments and new ideas and so on and so forth. Dubai, when I was there in 2015, 2016, that kind of time, were actually doubling the size of the city's infrastructure. They were building in all directions. And 
they were saying it was for the expo. It was where all the new build properties were going to go to demonstrate construction techniques and so on. But the more I think about it now, and having seen the, what's the name of that city that is going to be Amsterdam and everywhere else? Tri-State City. Tri-State City. That's what it looked like. I couldn't understand why there were suddenly more roundabouts, more highways, more intersections and big plots of land that were surrounded by these this road network because there was nothing there. And it looks to me like Dubai's ahead of the game there. They're, they're building their own version of Tri-State. Which would make sense. That that would make sense. So let's get into the uh, the, the second uh, part of our discussion. You know, we're, we're looking at, um, I, I don't even know where to begin, uh, transhumanism. I, I guess that's, that's the way you can go with it because they're literally looking at rewriting humanity. And I mean that in a literal sense. That's what they're talking about doing. And I have a clip here of... Um, uh, you, you mentioned Noah Harari, uh, and here he is talking about the future of work. You did talk about what we're going to do with all of these jobs because we were talking about the economy with social credit and how assets are going to be seized. In his mind, what does the future of work look like? Uh, you know, I, I don't believe that jobs will just disappear. Yes, some jobs will disappear. Other jobs, new jobs will emerge. But we need to prepare for that. We need to prepare for that, for instance, in the educational system. And we have really no idea what to teach kids today in school so that they will have a job or skills, uh, the, the necessary skills in the job market of 2040 or 2050. And we have never been in this situation before. Also, what's different is that now the uh, machines are competing with us, not just in uh, uh, physical skills, but also in mental and cognitive skills, including things which were considered to be kind of the hallmark of, of what it means to be human. Now machines are increasingly competing with us in creativity. They are increasingly competing with us even in uh, some some uh, forms of emotional intelligence. So the kind of naive thinking that says that any job that uh, involves creativity or any job that involves emotional intelligence is safe, this is simply not true. If you compare, say, doctors and nurses in the uh, hospitals, in the healthcare system, so we might think that it's harder to replace the doctors. After all, they get higher pay. But actually, at least some doctors are much easier to replace than nurses. If a doctor, if the main job of a doctor is basically to analyze data, this job, which basically is just data processing, this is easily replaceable. In contrast, a nurse, which has to uh, change a bandage, which has to give a painful injection, needs motor skills, needs social skills, which are far more difficult to automate. So um, it's, it's, it's not easy to predict which jobs are in the greatest uh, danger of being replaced. But the main thing is that we really, I mean, the AI revolution is just, you know, five, six, seven years old. We haven't seen anything yet. The really big shocks are still ahead of us. And we have no idea what is coming. We have no idea how the job market would look like in 20 years. So we just don't know how to prepare people uh, for this kind of world. Yeah, that's enough of him. I love to be personal. You know, I'm a bitch. <laughs> I look at Noah Harari speaking, and I just think he's like Skeletor's effeminate half-brother. Of course, 
machines are better at emotional intelligence than him, but not not the rest of us. The the man is uh, a deluded sociopath. He's not even a smart sociopath. He's he's deluded. He's not really that clever. In actual fact, uh, I just made a few notes whilst I was listening to that cretin. And I'm I'm now breaking my own rules, and I'll come back to that in a minute. Yeah, okay. I made a, I made a few notes, and if machines are competing with us for jobs, turn the bastards off. We don't need them. We don't need competition for meaningful employment from machines. Stop it. If we've got people that can do the job and they're happy doing the job, let them continue to do it. Turn the machines off. Doctors, he said, well, nurses are more important because they they might need to give a painful injection or do this or do that. Look, doctors do analyse data. They, They look at a spectrum of symptoms that the patient is presenting with and they determine through tests what the actual disease is. But many diseases have identical symptoms. You can't just give it to a machine and say, what are your symptoms? And you type in, I've got a sore throat, a runny nose, and, you know, a bit of a cough. Oh, my God, you've got COVID. No, you've got a bit of a, a summer cold or, or, or something like that. You need a person. You need to interact with people. Here in the UK just recently, um, it's been harder and harder to get a face-to-face appointment with your doctor and people have died as a result of not having a face-to-face appointment because they've been misdiagnosed over Zoom calls or or telephone calls and they haven't got the treatment they were supposed to get. Noah Harari needs to be put into a box, placed onto one of Bezos's or, or Branson's rockets and blasted into space. He is about as much use to the human race as tits are to a fish. Um, <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. Oh, sorry. Was I on the fence there? I do apologise. But again, with the the whole not knowing what skills to give people, the curriculum of schools has always been lagging behind the actual job market. It takes a lot to actually catch up. This is my area of expertise, if you like, in in sorting out what needs to be trained or educated so that they can fulfil the roles that are available to them. Now, education is slightly different because you get someone ready for further education or training so that they can go into a job role. But if they're, if those jobs are just disappearing and they're not going to be there, then, then how do you do it? You have to give people a broad spectrum of skills so that they can develop things for themselves and work their own way into gainful employment, into a business, into a job, into a career, those sorts of things. But the curriculum has always slightly lagged what the job market requires. We've had um, innovations here like academies, where in a local area, businesses have partially sponsored the education and have apprenticeships prepared. Because here in the UK, you can't leave school at 16 anymore, like I did. Admittedly, I, I did go on to further education afterwards for a short time before I found I was so bored with that, I just had to join the army. I said a few weeks ago, actually, on the podcast, education is wasted 
on the young. It's when you get a bit older that you appreciate that you don't know what you don't know and you might need to learn a bit more and develop a few more skills. So Harari is talking out of his backside where he's saying that we don't know what the curriculum needs to be or the you know, what the syllabus should be for each subject. We never have known exactly because the job market has changed and developed and education has always slightly lagged behind it. I'm a bit perplexed. I'm, I can't get my words out because I'm looking at his face and I should be locked up for what I'm thinking. You know, he's uh, he, he's quite the character, but, you know, we... Um we spoke specifically about where this is all going to go and what they intend to do. He knows damn well what they need to be training people for, but there is a post-human future that they're looking at. They don't want people. They want to depopulate. They don't want people to be trained to be able to, to work in a new economy. They want an autonomous economy that responds to whatever algorithms they program into it. So I think the whole well, look, discussion becomes irrelevant. I, I'm not I'm not saying you're incorrect. I agree with what you're saying. But what I'm saying is, is that they don't care, as in he and his kind. They, they don't care because they're the sovereign class. They're not going to have to abide by or work in any of that. They're the new... Um, they, they want to be immortal gods, more or less, is what they want to do. Yeah, uh, that, pr pretty much, because they, 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 they will have you know, organs being grown for them. So as their heart starts to fail or their liver or their lungs or their kidneys, that synthetic organ will be there to, to be transplanted into them. Also, the genetic adjustments that certain mRNA treatments can give you can shut down or make recessive the gene that tells your body when to stop regenerating, like your, the lobes of your liver. Basically, those kind of things, those kind of changes could mean that people could live longer and longer and longer. We're looking perhaps 150, maybe even 200 years. But what kind of quality of life would that actually be? That's his idea. That That's what he's talking about. He's talking about these, these minute changes to your DNA, your genetic building blocks that will make you more than human. But that's not going to be open for everyone. They don't they won't want everyone to to have that that kind of advantage. But clearly he's got access to the money and the scientists for those kinds of things already. CRISPR, which was basically where this has all come from, was developed in 2013, I think, and, and published about in 2013. And that was a case of correcting your your DNA so that the genetic disorders that people develop in later life could be cured. You know, genetic blindness, for instance, could be reversed. That was the idea of CRISPR. Clearly, it's not working, though, because evolution makes you more attractive to a mate. He is a scrawny, bald-headed, ugly, pinch-faced little shit. He's clearly not taken any advantage of any of these genetic modifications that he's saying we should all have, or rather, not we all, but the chosen few might have. So I don't think they'll they won't take them at all to be to be fair. I don't I don't know what it is that they that they're going to do, but if they're part of that sovereign class, you don't have to take any of those genetic modifications. Those are for people like us. And and this goes back to to like Bill Gates where uh, it, this is a point that Bruce made yesterday. Actually, you know what? I'm going to let you make that point, but before you make that point, I want to play this clip. This has to do with what we discussed yesterday that's in that executive order. This is an interview that he had on 60 Minutes 
with Anderson Cooper. You said, we are one of the last generations of homo sapiens. Within a century or two, Earth will be dominated by entities that are more different from us than we are different from chimpanzees. Yeah. What the hell does that mean? That freaked me out. You know, we'll soon have the power to re-engineer our bodies and brains, whether it is with genetic engineering or by directly connecting brains to computers or by creating completely non-organic entities, artificial intelligence, which is not based at all on the organic body and the organic brain. And these technologies are developing at breakneck speed. If that is true, then it creates a whole other species. This is something which is way beyond just another species. Yuval Noah Harari is talking about the race to develop artificial intelligence, as well as other technologies like gene editing that could one day enable parents to create smarter or more attractive children, and brain-computer interfaces that could result in human-machine hybrids. Bruce, the point you made yesterday about the, uh, the lower the tier you are in the social management system, social credit system, whatever you call it, that correlates with what Gates wanted to do to uh, correct human behavior. That falls right along in line. Everything that, that, that was discussed in that 60 Minutes interview, just in that little piece right there, all of that was talked about specifically in that executive order we reviewed yesterday. Yeah. So whether they fix the technology to where it actually is able to edit your genes, uh, because as, as it stands, those synthetic um, proteins they use don't degrade uh, it don't break down in the body properly, uh, thus cause long-term problems. Uh, it makes like your veins more porous, rough, and it, it, it can cause clotting to, to grow or just replication of the, the spike proteins, which then causes clotting. The details on exactly what's going on is not entirely known yet because there hasn't been much research done on this. Uh, but if they get the tech down and they're able to to edit our genes, I fully expect them to go after what makes, uh, as an example, what makes men more uh, high risk, high reward kind of individuals. You know, they 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 tend to go for that. They tend to be more aggressive. They tend to uh, be more bullheaded or or stand upon their principles um, to the death in some cases, whether that's good or bad. I, I imagine they'll go after that uh, trait first. Uh, because um, if you're if you're one to stand on your principles, you're one to resist this. You'll be in that quarantined class that requires seven plus vaccinations. The only thing I can I can conclude on that one is you would think it would be the other way around that the the commoner, the one with more freedoms, would have more vaccinations because they're more protected according to what they're telling us. Uh, so this doesn't really compute on that. So there, there has to be something else going on that someone that's quarantined, that doesn't have the right thinking, that isn't doing the right things, they're the ones that require more vaccination versus the ones that are. So it, there, there has to be a different reason they're wanting more vaccinations for those lower tiers, if you will. It is because they've cracked that genome. They, they've cracked that code. They know exactly which pairings create someone who is the alpha male, the aggressive one, the one that will stand their ground. They also know which will create a fertile female. Just because they've used it for this time to create uh, you know, or to, to modify your immune system 
to produce a protein spike so that your own immune system can attack that spike doesn't mean that there are not other things that they that they can do. And it may well be that the quarantine class and the next class up are encouraged for more vaccines, but the changes that they will make to them uh, and their offspring will be to make them meeker, to make them milder, to make them less fertile, make them less attractive, make them less intelligent, till eventually they just become, well, they, they breathe themselves out of existence. I was so, gonna say, that's, like that, like assuming yeah, they actually survive, like the other guy said, uh, we we hope this is done in a peaceful way. The reduction in population, yeah, yeah, done. He doesn't done hope to avoid means. that. He doesn't hope to avoid yeah. that. He said so, but doesn't mean to say that there aren't manipulations and gene editing that will make these superhumans that we don't need, that some people become anyway. Some people have already evolved to that. Some people have trained and worked hard and, and physically are really capable. Some people have studied and are polymaths and have got fantastic brains. We've done it all without editing our genes synthetically. You make one mistake and you wind up creating a super disease or... You know, does doesn't anyone watch films? I've heard that in films recently. Doesn't um, you know? Doesn't no one watch science fiction? The entertainment industry has been trying to tip us off about these kind of mistakes forever, and we just don't need it. We do not need what that skeletal effete snob is suggesting, uh, and so we we need to. I don't know. We we. I'd love to not give him any oxygen whatsoever uh, by that. I, no, actually, I mean it both ways. I, I'd I'm actually, like to give I'm glad him that no he's out talking. I, I am. I'm, I'm glad that he's out talking because like, that gives people a chance to see exactly who people like that are. I, I'm glad yeah, that he's, he's out He's really talking. rational. He, he's he is speaking rational. rationally. He and is he's speaking got, rationally. Yes. Uh, he seems to be rational. What he's saying is actually totally irrational, but he's delivering it in such a manner that people are going to be convinced this is the way, this is what we want. We, oh, yeah, I'm going to be a superhuman. Can't no. wait for my superpowers no. to kick in. I've had my fourth booster. I'm going to be flying by the end of the week. You know, people will believe it. There's, a, there's an element of... So science is going to go this direction, whether or not it's, it's done by the uh, corrupt elite or good elite. It doesn't matter. Science is going to go that direction. Uh, it, it's in our evolutionary trail, if you will, or, or path, we're eventually going to get to the point to where we are going to try to defeat death. Uh, we're going to try to make ourselves immortal. That's just inherently like that. That's one of the way the directions we're going to go. The problem is uh, who's running things right now. And uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure most humans don't want to uh, give up their humanity to become a, a machine. Uh, to have immortality. I, I, I don't think that's the evolutionary trail we should be going. If if we got to the point where we truly did understand the genetic code and we could do alterations there, where is the limitations? Where 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 do you draw the line? Because then you could have someone like, uh, using superhero references, you could have someone like Bane or something like that that is just a superhuman. Like they're, they're uh, I mean, granted, Bane, uh, Bane was strong because of a... a drug but nonetheless it, it, you get what i'm saying like you could you could have someone alter themselves to become super strong super super smart and effectively he would they, they, they could make themselves a, a dominant force like they, they could make themselves nearly unstoppable 
without using lethal see, force. Is, it's this just, is just it, though. They, they say that they're going, and I'm sorry to interject, but they say that they're going to use mRNA to achieve all this, right? And, and quite frankly, just looking at it, just looking at it from what they've been able to do with it so far, it's been devastating. I don't see any benefits to that at all. Do you? Do either of you? No. Yes. But then again, they... they it's, <laughs> okay, it's I see where you're going. With, yeah, okay. It's, it's a tool. Uh, and a scalpel can be used to slit your jugular and bleed you out, or it can be used to cut out a cancer. And it all depends on how that tool is used. Bruce is right. Yes, it is part of our evolution. Science will keep moving on. But what seems to have happened is the ethics have disappeared. One of the fastest times in, in surgical knowledge growth was during the Second World War. The absolutely inhuman uh, experiments conducted by Mengele in the concentration camps, particularly on twins, advanced medical science enormously, disgustingly, and it shouldn't have happened. Was it a good idea? And I'm sorry to keep sort of linking it back to the Nazis in Germany, but was it a good idea to put the tank crews on basically cocaine? That's because mess, yeah. that's what Blitz, that's how Blitzkrieg really was achieved. The lightning war was achieved because the troops didn't stop. They were like the Energizer bunny driving their panzers across Europe. All the ge genetic modifications to crops, which might well work to, to grow a decent crop in one place because... This particular tomato doesn't need as much water or as much sunlight, can cope with colder temperatures because it's had some other DNA spliced into it. But the trouble is it doesn't produce seeds. You have to buy the seeds from the same people all the time. Ned has talked about this at length. I know he has. So the ethics have been been removed and the, the people like Harari have got no ethical code. So science may well be able to do something but it doesn't mean it has to or should just because it can do it you know there's lots of things i can do but i don't do them because i know it's wrong to and that's the difference between someone like me and someone like skeletor's feet brother he doesn't know what's right or wrong he's got no moral compass to uh expound upon my yes there um, I wasn't, uh, I legitimately wasn't being facetious. Um, I, I literally mean if this mRNA tech would have gone through the proper experimentation process, like the proper vetting process, if we would have done everything correctly and, and had the moral and ethic, uh, position on it, we would have discovered a better way to synthesize the proteins that would properly break down in the body that would cause the mutations that we're looking for. And you could uh, potentially get rid of those uh, genetic diseases uh, with with this mRNA tech. The problem is, is it was rushed and it was shoved out to the populace intentionally, uh, which, as as you pointed out with the crops, that's an intentional mutation. They intentionally mutated it so it doesn't produce seeds so that you have to go back and buy from them. It, it, it creates kind of like a job security, if you will. It, 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 it gets you back. It's a drug dealer. They they provide the drug to you. You keep coming back to them for the drugs. The same thing with the the mRNA tech. If they would have done things properly and done uh, the 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 proper human trials and everything, which they didn't do, uh, they could have discovered a better way to do this, or just discovered that we can't do this at all because it causes a uh, hundred percent of patients to die. So 
in the experiments that we've seen in the early days of this when they were trying mRNA tech. It was causing a lot of death and it was 100% fatal at the time. So whether that's because they were doing the mutations themselves or the way they were synthesizing the protein, we don't know because we needed more testing. We needed more experimentation. So I, I think, yes, it could be useful as, as your analogy there, scalpel, it's just a tool. It can be used to harm or to help mend or correct. Same thing with this. It, it, it is just a tool. And unfortunately, it was not a tool that was properly forged or refined. No, and it's being wielded by psychopathic, sociopathic people. They're completely devoid of any morality, ethics, principles, faith, like anything. They, they have absolutely no empathy whatsoever. They're, they're completely devoid of it. Marty, final words. We're, we're at time here. We're actually a little over, but uh, I'll give you the last word. Just on, on that final subject then, immortality. If any sane, rational person contemplated the, the prospect of being immortal, they would come to the decision that it's not for them. Only mentally ill people desire immortality. That is corporal immortality, living, breathing, walking around, doing whatever, forever. The best kind of immortality is being remembered and leaving your own bloodline or your own body of work, not you being like some kind of vampire and being around forever. It's well said, my friend. We'll see you next week. Indeed you will. Fantastic. For those of you who'd like to send us some feedback, please do so anytime by sending us an email at dynamicpodcast at protonmail.com. Also, do you like the podcast you're listening to? We do love having you as a listener, and we would ask you to pass this along to five friends. If you know someone you're trying to wake up and get them to think on their own, we would appreciate it very much if you would send them our direction. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for being here this evening. Thank you to all of the listeners. Everyone have a great weekend, and we will see you on Monday.